Hey there, everyone. It is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Today is episode 78, and we're talking about beta blockers. It is also here in the United States, Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to all of you. I don't really expect any of you to listen on Thanksgiving, but just know that I am thinking about you today. And if my plans stay the same, I will be in San Francisco walking across the Golden Gate Bridge on Thanksgiving and just being thankful for so many things in my life. And one of those things is all of you guys. And this great listener review that I want to share with you right now because things like this truly make my day. So this is from soon to be RN, but from the sounds of it, she's actually an RN now. And she says, I love this podcast. I listened as a student and found many episodes that paired well with the lectures at school. Mo is very clear and manages being both soft and assertive in her expectations of the great nurses we can be. Now, as an RN, I still listen to keep myself fresh on topics I don't usually see. I am changing paths from cardiac nurse to pediatric nurse, so the upcoming episodes are going to be great. So thank you so much, actually an RN, for taking the time to write a review on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate that so much, and it made my day. So for those of you that might be wondering what she's talking about, we are doing more pediatric episodes so if you're interested in that, keep an eye out. I think our next pediatric episode, I can't remember what that topic is actually, but we are doing a lot of OB and newborn health as well. And the next episode in that vein is HELP syndrome, which is coming up on December 3rd. So anyway, let's get back to our beta blockers. So what are beta blockers? How do they work? What do they do? What conditions are they used for? And how are we going to monitor our patients when we give beta blockers? So let's start with talking about what are they. So beta blockers are medications that have beta adrenergic blocking properties, meaning they're going to block sympathetic nervous system activity. They're mainly used to treat hypertension, but as we get to talking about them, you'll see they're used in a lot of other uh, conditions as well. So we'll talk about those in a moment. Now let's talk about where they work, where they exert their action. So the first thing that you really have to understand, and you guys have to be solid on this, is that there's different types of receptors in the body, and there are two types of beta receptors in the body. And as you're studying pharmacology, if you can always understand the ones that act on a certain receptor or a certain site, if you can understand that, you can understand a lot about what this medication does. So that's just a little pharmacology study tip for you. So in the case of beta blockers, there's those two types of beta receptors. We have beta-1 receptors in the body, which are present in the heart, and beta-2 receptors, which are present in vascular smooth muscle and those muscles lining the airways. So mostly we care about the muscles lining the airways when we're looking at the beta-2 receptors in the case of using beta blockers. And how I remember this is beta-1, you have one heart, so it's beta-1. Beta-2, you have two lungs, so there's beta-2, okay? Maybe that will help you. So since beta-1 receptors are only present in the heart, when a drug is specific to beta-1 receptors, you might hear it called cardioselective. 
Other beta blockers target both the beta-1 and the beta-2 receptors, so these are sometimes referred to as non-selective as their effects are more widespread and have more side effects as well. So this will come into play when you're looking at what medications your patient is taking and what other conditions they have. So sometimes you want a cardioselective one and sometimes it doesn't matter. So what do beta blockers actually do? So beta-1 adrenergic blockers such as atenolol, metoprolol, they exert their influence on the receptors located in the heart. So by blocking sympathetic activity at the receptor site, they're going to slow the heart rate and decrease contractile force. And this lowers the patient's blood pressure. Also, beta blockers are going to cause a decreased excretion of renin by the kidneys, which acts to lower blood pressure as well. So a couple different things going on here. Heart rate's going to slow, blood pressure is going to slow or lower, uh, contractile force is going to decrease, blood pressure is going to decrease, renin is going to be decreased, blood pressure is going to decrease. So a lot of these things are going to result in lowered blood pressure, which is great because a lot of the times beta blockers are used to treat hypertension. So propranolol is an example of a non-selective beta blocker. Non-selective meaning beta-1 and beta-2. And because it can also affect the beta-2, which are located where? In those lungs, in the airways, propranolol and other non-selective beta blockers are avoided in patients who have reactive airway disease, such as asthma or COPD. So that's why you really want to know what beta blockers the patient is taking, because if they have asthma and they come in and someone's prescribed them propranolol, that's not going to be good for them. They need to be on a cardioselective beta blocker, such as atenolol or metoprolol. So let's look at some of the conditions that beta blockers are used for. So beta blockers are used to treat more than just high blood pressure, as I mentioned a moment ago. So mostly you'll see it treated for that, but we can also use it for angina. So beta blockers are going to treat angina by decreasing that heart rate is going to lower myocardial oxygen demand. Okay, so decreasing blood pressure is also going to lead to a decrease in afterload, which decreases the workload of the heart as well, also lowering myocardial oxygen demand. And if you need a refresher on angina, I've got an episode. Let's see which one it is. That is episode 62. So go check that out. Um, get a refresher on angina and you'll understand that a lot of that pain is because the heart's hungry for oxygen. So if we can decrease the myocardial oxygen demand, that angina pain often goes away. Some common meds used to treat angina in the beta blocker category are atenolol, propranolol, and metoprolol. Maybe you're noticing that these all end with olol. Okay, we'll get to that in a bit. Dysrhythmias are also a condition that beta blockers would be used for. So they're often used to control the rate in atrial fibrillation. So if you hear someone say AFib with RVR, they're talking about atrial fibrillation with a rapid ventricular response. Basically, their heart's beating over 100 beats per minute in their AFib 
rhythm. So we want to get that rate down below 100, ideally. A lot of times patients are in AFib chronically and forever, and that works for them because they're on the appropriate anticoagulants and their rate is controlled and they're asymptomatic. So these patients, a lot of times we'll just let them stay in AFib, but we want to make sure that their rate's better and that they are anticoagulated. Uh, some beta blockers that you might see used to control the rate in something like atrial fibrillation are esmolol, propranolol, and metoprolol. Then we have myocardial infarction. So in that period, like that 24-hour period of a myocardial infarction, giving beta blockers reduces that cardiac workload and improves the likelihood of survival. There's a lot of uh, studies on this, and it's actually considered a core measure to give a beta blocker within 24 hours of onset of an MI. So common meds that you will see used for this purpose are atenolol, metoprolol, and propranolol. I have a hard time saying propranolol. I hope I'm not the only one. And then we have heart failure. You will often see beta blockers used in heart failure. So beta blockers are used in heart failure in coordination with other medications. So your patient in heart failure is probably going to be on a handful of medications. And this is uh, used to slow that progression of the heart failure with the beta blocker. So metoprolol and carvedilol are the main ones that are used to slow the heart rate, gives the heart a little bit of time to rest in between beats, blood pressure lowers, afterload lowers, workload of the heart lowers, and hopefully that progression of the heart failure slows down. And then Beta blockers are often used prophylactically to prevent migraines. So this would be uh, metoprolol, atenolol, timolol, and propranolol are ones that are used to help prevent migraines in patients who are chronic sufferers. And then lastly, we have glaucoma. Ophthalmic solutions are used to decrease those pressures in the eye. Um, one of the most common ones you'll see for this is timolol, and it is a beta blocker used to treat glaucoma. Just note that doses of these are generally not high enough to have that systemic effect, but if systemic effects do occur, they can include bronchoconstriction, hypotension, and bradycardia. So let's take a bit of a closer look at one beta blocker medication, probably the most common beta blocker medication that you will see. And that is metoprolol, also goes by brand name Lopressor. There are others, but Lopressor is the brand that I see the most often, probably because that's what my hospital uses, but the generic name metoprolol. So again, by now you've probably noticed that in this class of drugs, they tend to end in olol. So while there are a few that don't, if you see a drug that ends with olol, you can pretty safely say that is a beta blocker. So metoprolol is typically going to be prescribed to patients with that high blood pressure, hypertension, heart failure, angina, and that myocardial infarction. It can be used off-label and is used off-label to treat anxiety. Um, I think the reason for this is that it basically combats that tachycardia and hypertension that accompany anxiety. I tried it 
because I hate flying. I love going places, but getting there is a big production for me. So my doctor prescribed me a beta blocker to take before my uh, trips. And I'm really glad I'm not doing that now. I think I tried it a couple of times and it didn't really help. But my resting heart rate can be as low as um, the low 50s and taking metoprolol would probably, I don't know, maybe drop it too low. So I'm not taking it for my flying anxiety, but a lot of people do. And you may see people taking it for um, public speaking anxiety as well. So metoprolol is a cardioselective beta blocker, meaning it's just going to target those beta-1 receptors in the heart. So if your patient's got asthma and you see that, you know, someone's prescribed her propranolol, which is uh, both beta-1 and beta-2, it might be nice to advocate for a cardioselective beta blocker such as metoprolol for your patient. So metoprolol is going to come in a lot of different formulations and types. So it comes IV, it comes as tablet, and it comes as extended release tablet. So IV typical dose is about like five milligrams every few minutes. I think maybe a max of up to three doses to try to get that rate or that blood pressure down where you want it. And then the patient could be taking tablets like 25 to 100 milligrams per day, maybe one dose, maybe in divided doses, and then extended release tablets. And those are 12 and a half to 100 milligrams, um, depending on what it's being used for. And the thing that I want you to really pay attention to is with extended release tablets, let's say your patient comes in, and they've been taking extended release tablets, but then something happens and now they're intubated and they have a feeding tube and now you need to give them crushed medications or IV medications. So if you get your metoprolol and their extended release tablet is still what's prescribed, you cannot crush those and give those because they are no longer extended release if you do that and you could have very fast and awful hypotension and bradycardia. So just understanding that extended release tablets are only taken whole, they're never cut in half, they're never crushed. If your patient's condition changes and the way you give medication to them changes, you may need to change the medication that they get as well. So we're going to give our patient the metoprolol and we want to make sure we monitor them correctly. So beta blockers do lower the heart rate and the blood pressure. So you need to watch your patient for bradycardia and hypotension, including that orthostatic hypotension, which is that drop in blood pressure that occurs when they change position from, say, lying down to sitting up or lying down to standing up or even sitting to standing. So you want to check your patient for orthostatic hypotension. That will absolutely be a test question. You also always want to get a blood pressure and a heart rate before you give the dose. So metoprolol will typically come with hold parameters as part of the order, meaning you're going to hold the medication if the heart rate's below like 50 or 60, it will specify. And a systolic blood pressure below like 90 or 100, the MD will also specify the parameter. And that's why you definitely want to take a heart rate and a blood pressure before giving the dose as well as after because you want to see what effect it had. You also want to monitor your patient for any common side effects that they could uh, could 
get from taking a beta blocker, such as fatigue. A lot of patients feel fatigued on uh, hypertension medications. Pulmonary edema can occur. Congestive heart failure can occur. Because one of the side effects is that congestive heart failure component, monitoring daily weights, intake and output is also important, as is assessing lung sounds. You want to listen for any uh, fluid buildup in the lungs. You want to assess for edema. And you want to check their O2 saturation and their work of breathing. Now, I wouldn't say, you know, it's common for a patient to go into congestive heart failure when taking metoprolol, but if they're taking metoprolol and suddenly they're saying, wow, I'm really short of breath, and you check their O2 sat and it's like 90 when it's normally 99 on room air, you probably want to assess a lot more to see have they had this side effect of congestive heart failure. And then we're going to teach the patient. So um, teaching them how to count their pulse daily, preferably before they take their dose, teaching them to count for 30 seconds and multiply by two is more accurate than counting by 15 and multiplying by four. Teach the patient and the family how to take their blood pressure and how often. Um, twice a week is a good general guideline, preferably same uh, time of day if they can. You want to teach them to change positions slowly. That's uh, to decrease the incidence of orthostatic hypotension. So from going from sitting to standing, they need to do that slowly. From lying down to sitting, lying down to standing, etc. Move slowly. Don't progress until you feel you're not lightheaded at all. If the patient has diabetes, you want to teach them that this medication can cause increases in blood sugar. Um, also, if they have diabetes, teach them that the beta blocker can mask some of those signs of hypoglycemia. It does not block diaphoresis, however, but it can block some of those other signs. So if they start to feel um, a little irritable or a little weak, they need to check their blood sugar. They could be hypoglycemic, like their heart rate's not going to go up, um, which is one of those signs of hypoglycemia, kind of that tachycardia feeling. Um, what else? Teaching patients the signs of pulmonary edema and congestive heart failure. Teach them what those signs are so that they can report them to their doc. And that would be things like edema, shortness of breath, wheezing. Maybe they have to now sleep propped up on a few pillows, things like that. You also want to teach them that they should never just stop taking this medication abruptly. This can cause what's called rebound hypertension and even chest pain. And if the patient is taking the medication for hypertension, you also want to teach them all the lifestyle modifications that they can do to improve their blood pressure, like weight loss, exercise, uh, sodium restriction, and not smoking or binge drinking. <laughs> okay, guys, so that is it for beta blockers. Happy, happy, happy Thanksgiving to those of you here in the U.S. with me. And next week, we will be talking about HELP syndrome. And also, I wanted to let you know, I've been talking about it a little bit, the Crucial Concepts Bootcamp, which is the bootcamp for incoming nursing students. 
The enrollment opens again December 9th. If you would like to get a friendly reminder that the enrollment is open, you can go to my website, straightanursingstudent.com, click on boot camp in the navigation bar, and you'll go to a page and you can fill out a little form, and I will send you a happy little email on December 9th to say enrollment's open, come check it out. Other than that, I will see you guys next week when we talk about help syndrome and enjoy your holiday weekend. And we're right at the end of the semester. If you're studying for finals, try to take a few days off and enjoy time with your family and your friends before you get back to hitting the books. You will be thankful for that. I promise. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.